welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome to the fourth episode in our latest season of After the Bell. This podcast is brought to you from Connects Academy and we deep dive into the world of education and bring you valuable insights. In this series, we've been focusing on the STEM code of practice. It is accepted universally that we deliver better outcomes for children when the support provided is holistic. In this episode, we're going to discuss how professionals across the education, health and care sectors should work together collaboratively to best support children with SEN and their families. Joining me are our two of our regular guests who are experts in the field of special educational needs. Andy Bridge is a secondary deputy head teacher and qualified SENCO and Debbie Davis, a primary head teacher. So let's get going straight away. Morning, Andy. Morning, Debbie. Morning. Why why is collaborating working across education, health and care sectors so crucial then in supporting children with SEN and their families? Debbie. Thank you, Georgie, for having me again. Um, So collaborative working is essential because children with special educational needs often require support from multiple professionals and and agencies. So by working together, professionals from different sectors can share expertise, share resources and knowledge. And this effective collaboration ensures a holistic approach to meeting the diverse needs of children and provides seamless support that addresses all the aspects of their well-being. So there might be a multitude of professionals wrapped around the child or all feeding in their um, information and their uh, um, analysis and they will support that child by assessing what needs need to be met. Definitely. And I'd just add then, um, well, just reiterate what you said, that a child that's got SEN often, not always, but often, um, their needs span across education, healthcare, um, as Debbie said, lots of different services. So we can't work in isolation. If we're all working in our separate little silos, um, number one, it's not efficient and we're duplicating workload, but that's not providing the best support for the child because it needs to be connected. It needs to be joined up. Um, so as I said, it, this collaboration, it avoids duplication of workload. It's more efficient with our resources in a time when we know all of our resources are stretched and strained. Um, collaboration supports the efficient use of those resources. And, and actually, when we work across sectors um, together and we align our strategies, our interventions, our goals, that's better for all of us. It's better for the child, it's better for the family, it's better for the professionals because we get that coordination and, and ultimately that leads to better outcomes, which is what we're striving for. 100% Andy, totally agree with you there. It's clear that collaborative working can have a significant positive impact on children with SEN. So how should professionals across education and, and health and the other sectors, the care sectors, collabor- collaborate effectively then? So I think the, the starting point is just strong communication. Um, we need really open lines of communication. We need to ensure that agencies are sharing information with each other, not keeping everything private and separate. Um, you know, we get that concern in the first meeting. Are you happy that we share everything that we discussed today with the other agencies working with your child? 
and then we ensure that that sharing happens because that's powerful if everybody's got access to that same information and that just means then that we engage in really regular meaningful dialogue we're all kept in the loop um, and that is the way then that professionals in different sectors get the most comprehensive understanding of the child's needs strengths challenges um, because that enables them to coordinate their plan and as we said um, in the last episode sometimes a child might exhibit certain behaviors or um, barriers to learning or emotional regulation within school but that might present in a very different way in the home it might present in a different way when they're at sports activities in an evening or a weekend so we need all of those voices um, to have that understanding of life for this child overall not just within that small snapshot of the child that they see don't you think as well andy that in your time as as a senco and and working with all these different agencies that actually it's you learn so much yourself we don't know everything ourselves as a senco and then when you're working with all these different professionals who've got fantastic insight they might just say something that you think yes that is something I'd not considered and it opens doors and it, it's actually it's good training for yourself to be around people or growing you as well. I don't know what you think, Andy. No, I'd agree. I think it's um, it's important that we value and we recognise the expertise of others. Um, I think we said it in that first episode and George has come back to it a few times that there's a danger that if you get a lot of professionals together that are all experts in their field, that we all congratulate each other and praise each other and learn from each other and we sometimes fail to recognize the contribution of the parent um, and George you said it a few times the idea that yes I might be an expert in education the um, psychologist might be an expert in psychology the speech and language therapist might be an expert in speech therapy but the parent is the expert in their child and we've got to ensure that their voice um, and their views and their opinions don't get diminished and watered down by um, over-professionalising and using too much jargon and using too much technical language and knowledge, we, we've got to make this accessible and ensure that that parent is a real partner. Mm. And in, in my experience, I've seen parents come to meetings of this nature and been outstanding and brought so much to us all. And, you know, you, you can't work without knowing and having their voice and the child's voice as well. The child's voice is so important. And one, once you get that together with the expertise of some real cracking professionals, you know, it's it, it's magical what, what can happen for that child. And, and the sense that I'm getting from your conversations here is around we mustn't forget that it's an individual that the child is unique and that the parents are also unique and they're they've they've got the insight they're with their child 24 7 so actually they can share truly how they're feeling and how they react in different situations so it comes back to effective collaboration but as a teamwork and and the the parent and the child should be as part of that team in the communication process with a shared vision and involving the children and the families is really, really key. It doesn't, what I'm hearing though, sadly, is that that doesn't always happen. What, why is this? What, what, 
what are the challenges here, Debbie? So I think to, we have to start by saying that we know everybody working in education and healthcare, no matter what their role is, working really incredibly hard to support children and their families. But the main issue getting in the way of partnership working is capacity. So when so many organisations are understaffed and have significant waiting lists, lack of resources, etc., everything just grinds to a halt. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly the experience that we're finding at the moment in um, in school and and you really see even if it's just one organization that's struggling if there's five or six agencies working with a family and one of them is lacking capacity it can become a blocker so we know for example CAMS um, which is the NHS children and adolescent mental health service it has got a huge backlog a huge waiting list you might be talking years before you can get a child assessed by CAMS that then affects every other service um, and you then to try and move things along you, you get people who try their best to pick up some of that workload so there might be people in school that try and then do some of the work that CAMS would have been doing um, and they're doing that with the best intentions because they want to provide the support for the child but actually it's it's with it's outside of their expertise that they're, they're not a mental health professional they might have had some training they might have accessed some um input but all of these agencies play such a crucial role and have got such knowledge on their own that when when one part of the system falls partnership working crumbles very very quickly it's such a challenge isn't it it's um and we're sort of seeing the you know the reports on on the news etc of the backlog and and unfortunately the pandemic has not helped that situation at all and hopefully we'll see some investment in these support services moving forward and we know that when when this works when partnership works that has such a positive impact on families and ultimately an opportunity and and an impact on on the child and how successful they're going to be and becoming sort of well-rounded citizens of of the future so Debbie what do you think about that well for me collaborative working is is everything you know networking reaching out finding who you need to get the best expert information to serve the child that's that's everything that, that professionals are about, really. And, you know, there's a numerous, numerous ways that we can reach out and, and lots of different varied professionals that we can work with. And it just ensures that their needs are met and addressed and that there's a holistic overview and input into what they need, uh, an expert overview in various different domains, as Andy said, and also coming back again, the, the, the parent is the, the expert in their own child. And it just takes into account all the different areas that that child might need support. So healthcare, education, care requirements, and in the end, it leads to a more effective support and better outcomes for the child when it works well without the blockers that have been mentioned earlier. Yeah, I would agree. And I think it, you know, as well as supporting us as professionals, it reduces that burden on the families. So I'm thinking of a family a number of years ago now where their child had quite complex needs um, and they were having to attend so many separate meetings 
with different agencies constantly spread throughout the week and in the day and they didn't dare miss one appointment because if they did they would be to the bottom of the waiting list and it could be months before they were seen again and and that um parent was looking at having to give up their job to be able to then attend the number of meetings that they were having to be called to whereas actually if we get partnership working right that parent would just attend one meeting with all of the relevant professionals sitting around one table or even virtually on teams or zoom or however that might be done now um, and it, it's removing barriers that then means that that parent can get the support for their child, but actually they can still work, they can still earn an income, they can still um, support the family financially. So I think, you know, as, as well as supporting our resources and our capacity, the, the reduction in burden for families, um, if we get this right, is absolutely huge. And ultimately, it's going to be cost saving as well for the, the whole system. You know, just one meeting, one one kind of conversation taking place that considers all aspects and and back to that one individual. I think it's 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 obviously logical. We just need to get the system right so that that happens automatically. It's great to see that when it does happen, the positive impact that the collaborative working can have on children with SEND and their families, despite some of the challenges we are facing with the capacity. So when it is done right, it really, really works. As we wrap up, do either of you have any sort of final thoughts regarding the importance of partnership working? Um, Debbie, do you want to go first? I think this is just personal to me, but I can't think of anything more powerful than getting round a table with lots and lots of different professionals or experts in their own right. I know we can read documents and I know we can prepare by reading thoroughly and we do. But personally for me, there's nothing more powerful than sitting and discussing face to face um, in a supportive environment where we can underpin everything we do based on um, inclusivity for children and I've experienced that and that's what I I come away feeling yeah we've got a real way forward now and those moments um, when it works exemplify everything that we're trying to talk about today really. Yeah absolutely it's it's, it's powerful and I, I would say for me like collaboration is key in ensuring that no child falls through the gaps and that's what we need we, we don't want a system where some children go under the radar or some children are missed um, and we need to ensure that every child receives that support that helps them to reach their full potential and and i just hope it is an area where we will see some investment and we know that post-covid um the number of students with sen is increasing year on year the number of children with education and healthcare plans is increasing year on year we know that in the early years um, sector, there is a, a surge in um, speech and language needs in nurseries and childminding and, and early year school settings. We know that mental health needs are surging in teenagers. So we absolutely need real investment, financial staffing resources, because at the moment we've got the, the commitment, we've got the desire, um, but we absolutely need that investment so that collaboratively we can support all of those children and all of those families as effectively as we can be. Thank you, Andy. So let's hope there's the right people listening to this podcast today. We hope that this fourth podcast has been helpful to you in respect of understanding the partnerships working together for send child support and 
the opportunity to involve the parents and the child to give them real agency and make sure they have their own voice opinion because each child with scent needs are unique our next podcast is equally as insightful and we're going to look at the local scent offer and we hope that you have an opportunity to join us with that session you can pick up the Afterbell podcasts, which are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. Perhaps access these on your daily commute, on your treadmill or as your focus for the day. Thank you for listening to After the Bell.